0: for thirty-one years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. Now down to verse 7. He tore down the altars and the asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. He then went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Japheth, son of Azariah, and Mascheriah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God he went to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the doorkeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Down to verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Helkiah the priest found the book of the law that had been given to Moses. Helkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Helkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Helkiah, Helhaham, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Azaz the king's attendant, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Helkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Hildar, who was the wife of Shulam, son of Tokah, and the son of Heshrah, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. Verse 26. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declared the Lord. Verse 31. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. To follow the Lord and keep his commandments, regulations and decrees with all his heart, all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. So said the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning can you all hear me through this thing no all right caleb oh it's working now just a bit of volume no worries let's uh let's pray dear lord we thank you so much for your word we thank you for this passage of what you're speaking to us and teaching us through events that happened so long ago in the life of josiah and the nation of israel Lord, we pray that as we look at your Word today that you would help us to see that some of the things here are just as relevant back then as they are today in terms of uh, your Word, uh, your Bible. We just pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to hear what you are saying today and you'd help us to apply this to our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. I don't think we can concentrate on just put that there. It's annoying you, is it? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> You're just, Mate, you're just like Carl. Uh, Alright, everyone else happy now? Is there anything else that I'm doing that's annoying you? That's... Maybe I'll just put a bag over my head or something. Anyway, I'll get back to the sermon. So, who likes a good king or a queen in the case of Australia? Who likes the queen? Yeah? Sorry, we won't have a vote who's a monarchist and who's a republican. <laughs> And, of course, it's been in the news lately because the Queen's getting old and soon we might have, we don't like to talk about it, but soon we might have a King. And technically, Australia is a monarchy. We're not a republic, we are a monarchy. And if you're an Australian citizen, that means that you are actually owe your allegiance to the Queen. Have you, do you think about that much in your daily life? Who does? How much actual relevance does the queen have in your life on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> one, that's pretty high i mean for most of us the queen doesn't or you know we'll be king one day doesn't have much of a day-to-day relevance in our daily life and that's because we are what's called a constitutional monarchy and the queen's power is largely ceremonial And because of that, we can sometimes forget, back in the the day, the actual influence and power of a king, what a king really meant. So back in the day, like King Josiah, which we've just heard read about, such as the kings of Judah, the kings had real power. They really had influence in the day-to-day lives of the people. They were more like the premier or like the prime minister is for us today. So today we're going to look at one of those kings. We've already heard about him. His name is Josiah. There's a photograph of him coming up on the screen there. You can see he reigned about 2,600 years ago. Uh, If you haven't already done so, please do turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 in your Bibles. 2 Chronicles is just after 1 Chronicles if you're having trouble finding it. Uh, If that doesn't help, just look up the contents. Uh, It's just... It's towards the end of the first half of the Bible, if that helps you to find it. We've just heard selected parts of that passage read out, so you already know some of the story. But I'd encourage you this afternoon to go home and read the whole chapter. But first, let's, have, let's get some context. In chapter 34, verse 2, we are introduced to Josiah. It tells us that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is actually quite an interesting piece of information because not all the kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And in the book of 1 and 2 Chronicles, when we read through the kings, we'll find that most of them actually did the wrong thing. And if we look at his father, a genealogy is just coming up, it's already there. In fact, his father, Ammon, before him had been an absolutely terrible king. He'd been so bad that some of the people in the court had actually got rid of him because he was so bad. And Josiah's father, grandfather, Manasseh, was also a terrible king. In fact, if you look back at Josiah's ancestors, you have to go back to... Now, this is annoying me as well. You have to go back to Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, to find a good king. So Hezekiah was actually the first ancestor, if you go back, who was actually a good king. But Hezekiah had long since been dead... Before Josiah was born. In other words, when you think about it, the examples that Josiah had had when he was growing up had mostly been bad. But for some reason, Josiah was different. He didn't follow his father, he didn't follow his grandfather. For some reason, from an early age, his heart had been soft towards the Lord. And in verse 1, we learn that he became king when he was only eight years old. Anyone here eight years old? Or have you gone out the back? Anyone remember when they were eight years old? Would you like to have been king when you were eight? Imagine the things you would have done. In verse 8, we read that in the eighth year of his reign, that is when he was about 16, so perhaps when he was eight and younger, maybe there was a regent ruling in his place, but by the time he's 16, he's probably starting to grow up and mature, so when he was about 16, we read in verse 3 that in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now when it says father, that means ancestor. That's just a way in Hebrew of that saying ancestor. From very early on, Josiah was keen to know God and he was keen to serve God. And as he got older, his devotion to God only increases. And later in verse three, we read in the second half of verse three, "It is twelfth year. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles. So Asherah is just the name of a pagan goddess, and of idols." So that's four years later, when he is about twenty. And then in verse eight, we read, "In the eighteenth year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple." He sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So at this point, he is about 26. So we can see a progression if we look at his timeline. When he's eight years old, Josiah becomes king. When he's 16, he begins to seek God. When he's 20, he realizes that all the idols and the false gods in the kingdom displease God and so he starts to get rid of them when he's 26 he realizes that the temple is in a state of repair and needs to be fixed up so he arranges for money to be collected to pay for repairs now so far what has motivated Josiah to do this what do you think The Holy Spirit, sorry? His love for God. It's a good question to ask because we need to ask, how does Josiah know what pleases God and what does not please God? Because he hadn't grown up with good examples of what that was. His father and grandfather had only been bad examples. Maybe there were other people around him who were good examples. Maybe he'd read or heard about some of Israel's history, about David, or maybe about his great-grandfather, Hezekiah. Or could it have actually been the law, God's word, that he read? That is, the part of the Bible that they had back then. Well, let's read on and see. We've just heard about how Josiah organised for money to be collected so that the temple could be repaired. And then we read something extraordinary. When the priest... Hilkiah was going through the silver that was stored in the temple we read in verse 14 while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses Does something odd strike you there what is it? it's been lost that's right Now, I don't know about you, what you thought when you were reading through this, but we've just heard from one of you. But years ago, I remember when I was a young Christian and I read through the whole Bible for the first time and I got to this chapter and I thought, what do you mean they found the book of the law of the Lord? Didn't they already have it? If they found it, it must have meant that at some stage they had lost it and forgotten about it. How could they lose how could they forget about the book of the law of the Lord? And I guess we should ask today, because we don't normally use that term for the Bible, what is this book of the law of the Lord that's been given through Moses? And Marty, there's a reason why I didn't have that around the back, because it just keeps coming around. <laughs> it's just the way it's designed. So, Yeah, we'll see. So what is this book of the law of the Lord that has been given through Moses. Well, it is the first five books of what we now have in our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. What the Jews even till today called the Torah, which means teaching or law. And what Christians sometimes call the Pentateuch, which just means five books. These five books were the core of the Bible at that time. They contained the history of the creation of the world. They contained the history of the patriarchs, the Exodus from Egypt. And importantly, the giving of the Ten Commandments and the other laws that God gave Israel, as well as the laws about the temple and the sacrificial system. Now you can imagine then what a big deal it is that they find this book, this book that had been lost, that had been hidden away in the treasury of the temple. But the biggest thing to strike me is that they had lost it, or at least forgotten about it. God's book the Bible or as much of it as they had back then had been lost to memory until a seemingly chance discovery in the storerooms of the temple. So going back to our previous question how did Josiah in his early days, in his early reforms before the scriptures had been found, how did he know what to do? How did he know how to seek the Lord? Well We don't know, to be honest. Maybe it had been passed down word of mouth. Maybe bits of the scriptures had survived and Josiah did the best that he could with what he had. But notice that when the actual law, the scriptures were found, everything changed. Now, Josiah and the people of Judah had all of God's word that had been written up to that time. And what does Josiah do when he hears all of God's word for the first time? We read in verses 18 to 21. (coughs) Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Why did he tear them? Because he heard all the things that they should have been doing that they weren't. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahiham, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and desire the king's attendance. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Josiah's reaction is one of shock. Why? Because as he hears the law, God's word, God's teaching, and he hears all the things that he and his people have supposed to have done, and then compares it with what they have actually been doing, he realises how far from God's way they have been living. And as a result, he tears his clothes in grief. He realises that God's judgement will fall on him and his people because they have ignored God and his ways. Even though he'd been trying to please God before that, he hadn't been doing it right because he didn't have God's word. So he sends the priest off to get more information from Huldah the prophetess. In verse 24, the Lord, speaking through Huldah, confirms that yes, indeed, God's judgment will fall on the people of Judah. And not long after uh, Josiah's death, that actually occurred with them being taken away to Babylon. But as for Josiah, she says in verses 26 to 27, so she's prophesying the word of the Lord, but tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before God when, he heard, when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. When Josiah hears God's word, he humbled himself. He repented. And because of that, God heard him. And we read in verse twenty thirty one, The king stood by his pillar and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Josiah promised to carry out the words of the covenant the words of the agreement between God and Israel that was written in this book. Now, Josiah was a great king. What's this got to do with us 2,600 years later? Well, there are many lessons we can learn about God's word and about the Bible from this passage. But the main thing is how important God's word, the Bible, is. Look again at Josiah's timeline. Notice that Josiah started his reforms well before the Bible was found in the temple storage areas. At 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord. When he was 20, he started to get rid of idols and false places of worship. At 26, he started to repair the temple. He did all of these things without having the law. And it was, in one way, it was great what he did. But it wasn't enough. God in his providence caused Josiah to find the whole Torah, the scriptures. And when Josiah did have access to the whole Torah, the law, he himself also realized that what he had already been doing before he found the law was not enough. He tore his clothes in grief. He repented and he read the whole thing. Or had someone read it to him? Not just reading it, And not even just studying it, but doing everything in it that was commanded by God. And what this tells us is that being zealous for God, but without the knowledge of what God actually wants, is good, but it's not enough. We live 2,600 years after Josiah. We have the benefit of not just the first five books of the Bible, but the rest of it, which was written later including the New Testament, about Jesus. But do we value it? Do we read it? And not just bits of it, not just your favourite psalm, not just Jeremiah 31 over and over again, but the whole thing. You know, it's not good enough just to try and please God without actually reading his book, all of it. And it's not good enough just to only read the bits of the Bible we like. You know, you read Psalm 23 and Jeremiah 31 over and over again. They're good, but there's a lot more as well. We need to read all of it, not just the promises, not just the bits we like and the warm fuzzy bits, or not even the bits that suit our particular brand of politics and skip over the harder bits, which might be on the other side of politics or views that we might not like that tell us the difficult things about how we are to live. We need to read the whole thing. And you know what? We have it all. If you speak English, you have it all. All 66 books, the whole Bible, from Genesis right through to Revelation. Good, you're awake. The creation of the world, God's history and dealing with Israel, the Psalms, praises to God, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and other books that give us so much wisdom. Wasn't it great to hear Job last week? The prophetic books that warned Israel and us too when we deviate from God's ways. And the New Testament, the Gospels, biographies of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Acts, the history of the early church, the letters, so much information about salvation through Christ and the way we are supposed to live in response. Revelation about the future, The return of Jesus and the judgment between those who are gods and those who are not. You know, we have it all. And we have it all in multiple versions. You can choose the ESV, the CSB, the NIV, and you can even take your pick there, the 84 or the 2011. The NLT, the RSV, and so it goes on. In multiple editions, if you pop into town and go to Kurong, they can sell you the ESV Archaeology Study Bible. The NIV Woman Study Bible. The NIV Verse Mapping Bible. The NKJV Illustrators Note Taking Floral Bible. Who's got one of them? <laughs> You're not brave to show it, are you? The NLT Inspire Creative Journaling Bible. And so it goes on. Take your pick. We are flooded with Bible versions and editions. As English speakers, we have it all. The whole Council of God. But the question is, are you reading it and are you applying it to your life? But also, the other thing to realise is, did you know that not everyone has it all? Not everyone has all of the Word of God. Not everybody speaks English and then can therefore access all those dozens of translations that we have. There are around about 7,000 languages in the world. Not all of them are in active use, so that's why the numbers that I'll show you shortly won't all add up because not all of them are in active use. But um, there are around about 700 languages of those 7,000 that have a full Bible in their language. That means the whole lot. Across the world today, about 7,000 languages are spoken and yet only 700 of them have the full Bible. Another 1,600 have the New Testament. So they just have the New Testament, that's all. But is it enough to have only the New Testament? It's great to have the New Testament, but think about all the other bits of the Bible that they're missing out on. Another 1,000 languages have even smaller portions of Scripture. But is that enough? Is it enough to have a Bible without the Psalms, without Proverbs, without Exodus, without Isaiah or Jeremiah, or without two Chronicles and this wonderful account of King Josiah that we've just been looking at no it's not enough it's through the Bible all of it that God speaks to us but even worse than that of the remaining languages that are still in active use there are still around hundred and eighty million people in the world speaking over two thousand languages who don't have any scripture at all in their own language And that's why I and myself, uh, uh, myself and other people like me, work in Bible translations. We help to bring the Bible, all of it, or at least sometimes bits of it, to everyone. So while I'm talking about the Bible, uh, some of you ask from time to time what I do, so I'll just tell you a little bit about what I do before we go back to Tech and Chronicles. Here's a little bit of a picture of me. You know who I am. That's me working in my office here at home in Lonnie, and that's when I've been on the field. So, the next slide, please. And you know our family, or maybe you don't because we normally go to the 4 pm service, but that's my wife and kids. Kristoff's over there in the corner hiding away. Next slide. So, this is the work that I do. So, this is basically a really rough, summarized form of what the Bible translation process is when we're working. I work for an organization called SIL, but when we work, Overseas are in, or not even overseas, there's some languages in Australia too. So, first of all, the translator and what's called an exegetical advisor work together on producing the first draft of the translation. Then it goes through a whole series of checking, checking it with the community to make sure that people understand it, checking it with stylists to make sure it's good, you know, like in English, you want it to be good English, so you want it to be good in whatever language it is, checking by church leaders and pastors and then it has a final check done by someone called a translation consultant, and then it's published. Now, there's other checks that go along too, but that's a very simplified version of it. The ones in red are things that I do. If we go to the next slide. Several years ago, we lived in a country uh, in Central Asia, and that's pictures of it, of that country, and that's where I first started working in Bible translation. If we go to the next slide. Uh, This country in Central Asia... Uh, It used to be part of the USSR, so a former Soviet country. It's got about 9 million people. It's the poorest of the ex-Soviet countries. Uh, The average monthly salary is about a couple of hundred dollars, not per week, but per month. So let's go to the next slide. Uh, Because of its communist history, it's a strange mixture of Islam, which is the traditional religion, uh, and communism, which is a really strange mixture. If you think about it, it is pretty strange when you get there and see some of the ways it mixes together in the culture. Uh, people uh, are on a, di- uh, like on a continuum. Not everyone's the same. It's a bit like maybe a generation ago. Most people are nominally Muslim, uh, but it's not that serious in their lives, although that's growing. There are more and more people who are becoming more seriously Islamic, like in the Neighbour to the South, which was on the news a lot last year. Next uh, Next slide. There is a church there, uh, churches, it's very small, there's only about two to three thousand Christians in the entire country, so there's just a couple of slides of different sorts of churches, that's more of a charismatic one, that's more of a traditional Baptist church, so there's quite a variation of churches like there is here. We go to the next slide. So you remember in January when I spoke about missions and about the Great Commission, I used some of those, um, what do you call these, stick figures? So that's what it is for the country that we worked in. You can see the name of it there if you're you're paying attention. Uh, So it's one in 3,000 people is a Christian. So you can see that for the average Christian, there's a lot of work to do. There's no way that they can reach those 3,000 people on their own. If we go to the next slide. But one of the great ways of reaching people is through God's word. People reading God's word and getting that out there. Uh, And also, it's a great way of growing people in the Lord. Because one of the problems, too, is when people do become Christians and the Bible is not readily available, you have the situation like you had in ancient Israel where people are guessing their way to God and don't really know what God wants them to do. A Bible was published there a few decades ago, but it was written in a very high form of the language. So, you know, like in English, there's a range in the way language is used, like there's legal language, formal language, then there's a language that people speak. Well, on that language there, there's also that range, but it's much greater. And it's so great that something written in literary, literary language is not readily understood by normal people. So most people have trouble standing, understanding this Bible version. Every every verse, there's a couple of words they don't know. And if, you, if you're reading a Bible and you don't know a, a word or two in each verse, it makes it really hard to read it or to understand it. So for that reason, in the 90s, our organisation was asked to come in and make a translation into the language that people actually spoke. So, if we go to the next slide, the Gospels, so we've been working hard on that. There's actually a lady who lives in Port Sorel who actually started that work and she's still working on it. Some of you may know her. Um, and the Gospels were published around about 10 years ago uh, with, with in, that, in our translation. And the next slide, please. Uh, and we have now finished the whole New Testament but we have had troubles getting it permission for it and getting it distributed. So after about two years of asking for permission, you have to have permission to get something published in that country, after two years of asking permission, we finally got permission uh, early last year, or in May last, no, uh, where does it say there, early last year to get it published, but it is still taking this long to actually get it published because the, one of the conditions was it had to be printed in country and that's very difficult in that country and so it's still at the printers a few hundred have been printed you can see them on the left hand your right hand side there a few hundred have been printed but we're still waiting for them to finish the rest of the order so please pray for that it's rather frustrating waiting for that to happen and it should take us another six years to complete the rest of the old testament we have done some of it um, but we need to finish the rest of it the next slide Uh, It is, however, available on Android phones, not on iPhones, but most people there don't have iPhones because they're too expensive. So they use Android phones. Uh, For example, a couple of years ago, uh, during Ramadan, there were 4,500 downloads just in Ramadan. Remember how many Christians there were in the country? That's more than the number of Christians. Uh, There were 2,000 downloads in one week in June 2019. And one of the reasons was there was a big ad... We did a big... Not a big, but an advertising blitz through social media, and that was funded by... The solar panels on this church building. So thank you for that. Uh, and just recently, last month, it was tenth place on the App Store. Uh, not across the world, but in that country. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite sure how many apps there are in that language, so maybe it's not that great, but it's <laughs> still <laughs> the next slide. So that's what I do in that language, but I do other work as well. So I was an exegetical advisor. I worked with the local translators uh, to produce the first draft. What we've done now is we've trained up the local translators. For the next slide, please. So they are now the exegetical advisors. So over the last around about four, five years, we've been training them up and mentoring them. So now they can do their own exegesis. They've been learning Hebrew and they're doing really, really well. They speak it better than I do. Uh, so if we go to the next slide, going back to the Bible translation process, you'll see final checks are done by a translation consultant. So that's more of the work that I do now. The next slide. that's what I, I do that by a mixture of checking translations from my home office, which is what I'm doing there, using Bible software like Paratext and Logos. Some of you might know of Logos. And then I go, next slide, and visit teams in different parts of the world and also sometimes here in Australia. So last month I was in Alice Springs checking an Aboriginal translation. Uh, Now over the last two years, of course, I haven't had to do all that travels by Zoom, but now I'm actually starting to be able to visit again. And the next slide. If you're interested in keeping up to date with what I do, I do send out a newsletter and I know some of you are on it. So I send them about 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 once every month or every two months, depending on how overloaded I'm feeling. Uh, If you do want to get that, there's just a sign-up sheet at the back table if you'd like to put your name down there and get our newsletters. If you go to the next slide, please. So going back to to Chronicles, uh, that was just a brief explanation about what I do in Bible translation. But we need to remember that the account of King Josiah is not just a lesson for those people, like the people in Central Asia and other parts of the world, who don't have the Bible, but it's also about us, who do have access to the Bible. The nation of Judah should have had multiple copies of the law of the Bible, but they didn't, and they'd lost what they did have. Josiah tried his best to please God, even before he had all the law. In a way, he was guessing his way to God, but it wasn't good enough. And then in his providence, God responded to Josiah's seeking and caused him to discover the law. And when Josiah heard the law read out, his heart was tender, it was responsive, and he humbled himself before God. He repented, he turned around. Now maybe you're here today, maybe you are a Christian, but you only dabble in the bits of the Bible you like. Either the easy to read bits, or the easy to do bits. I encourage you, if you are one of the many Christians who has never read the whole Bible but just bits of it, read the whole thing. There are a lot of Christians who have not read the whole Bible, and I know that many of you have not. I encourage you to do that. The easiest way that I find is just to pick up. Some people use Bible reading plans. If that works for you, that's fine. But the easiest way I find is to pick it up and just start at Genesis 1 and to read it from Genesis 1, chapter after chapter after chapter, until you get to the end. If you read one chapter a day, it will take you around about three years to get through the Bible. Try and read one chapter a day, at least. If you miss a day, don't sweat, just pick it up the next day and read another chapter. Then you'll take three years and one day to read the Bible, or however many days you miss. But just do it, and don't just get discouraged. If you fall behind, or you miss a bit, or you, know, you get slack, just pick it up where you start from, and just persevere. And then when you've read the whole thing, go back to the beginning and... Start again and read the whole thing again. And if you do that, you know, after a couple of decades, you will have read the Bible through several times. Now, of course, if you can read it quicker than that, that's even better. But at least do that. Or well, maybe you are here and you're a Christian and you are aware of the whole Bible. Maybe you do read the whole thing. But when it comes to actually doing it, you only do the bits that are easy and brush aside the harder bits. Either way, now is the time to have a soft heart towards God, to humble yourself before God, and to change. And just like He did with Josiah, God promises to forgive those who turn away from their sin and to turn towards Him. Or may, uh, or turn towards Him. Or maybe you are here today and you are not even a Christian, or you're not sure if you're a Christian. Maybe you've been following God your own way but not necessarily God's way. Or maybe you haven't even been trying to follow God at all. I haven't had time today to talk about Jesus, about how he, came, how he came from God to live on earth with us, and how he died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And then he rose from the dead, conquering death so that anyone who repents, that means to turn from our sins, our wrongdoing, and turn to doing things God's way, and trust in Jesus, God will forgive that person, just like he did with King Josiah, and give that person eternal life. Whatever situation you are in, let us be like King Josiah, reading as much of the Bible as we have access to, doing whatever God tells us to do through its pages, and having a tender heart towards God and his word, and being humble before him. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Uh, no. Well, when it says David there, so in Hebrew they used to word, use the word father to mean anyone, like your father, your grandfather, your great-great-great-grandfather, and so on. So when it says father there, it actually means what we would say as an ancestor. So, his father was Ammon, I think it was, his actual like first generation father. Good question. That often stumps people because different languages use the word father in different ways. Any other questions? Yep. I think it's possible that he used the to Yeah, he might have been. Yes. Yep. Yep, maybe. (laughs) Yep. It was somewhere in the temple, in the storage area of the temple. So it was while they were going through the treasury, which would have been in the storage area of the temple most likely, and they found it there. So it sounded like that they had copies of the Bible, of the Torah, and had stored them in the temple, but they weren't using them. So a bit like us, we might have a Bible on our bookshelf, but it's just there to look pretty. Okay, we might close in prayer and then uh, Graham can come up and close the service. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have given us your word. We pray that you'd help us to treasure it. Lord, there are so many people in the world who don't have access to your word. I'm thinking of a a people now who don't have access in a language that they easily understand. Um, I just pray, Father God, that you would help us enable us to get that word to them and to many of the other millions of people around the world who don't have anything and also the other people who just have part of your word help the bible to be translated for them but lord we just do pray for us who have so much we have so many different versions and so many different editions of the bible help us just to pick up one of them and to read it lord i pray that if there are people here who are struggling with reading the bible or maybe listening to it if they have trouble reading they can listen to it on on cd or 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 what or whatever that you would um, help us to be disciplined to read all your word and uh, through the power of your holy spirit uh, that you would help us to obey all the things that you are teaching us to do so that we can live a righteous life that you want us to live we ask for these things in your name amen